0: A little insomnia talk here. am going to try to tire myself out. Although when I do this, I just make myself even more awake. But, I, you know, years ago, I remember, I mean, just in the last number of years, last like decade, working in an office, people were always trying to introduce new ideas. I don't know if it was always this way or if it was just me being in in that world for the first time. But I'm someone, like, if I work in an office, you know, I don't want the worst chair in the world. I I want just, like, a decent chair. But other than that, like, I'm happy just to come in and sit at my desk as it is. I I never think about messing with that. And nobody did forever. You know, nobody really cared about that forever that I know of. But I noticed in the last 10 years, it was, like, all of a sudden, like, it seemed like all the time somebody whether it was like a fellow employee or the boss or just somebody like somebody would read an article online. Like maybe this is an internet thing. Maybe this is new to offices or new in the last decade to offices because of like the, so many people are like reading internet advice, like articles, like why you should get a standing desk. That was a trend for a while. Like all of a sudden in the office, like people were talking about standing desks and people got them and they're welcome to have them. Like I understand the idea of standing while you work. Like, I like to have my computer at home just on, like, the kitchen uh, counter, like the, like, there's an island. I just like to have it on the kitchen island, and I don't usually sit down at all during the day. Yeah, you know, I don't sit down until very late at night, basically. So I understand the idea, but for me, like, going to the office, it's like having a standing desk, like I feel like it just creates, like, an even bigger hassle. It's like one more thing to, to think about or worry about. And also, but not just that, like layouts and stuff like someone's always like oh we should like put all the desks like around this way and have this like open area in the center oh we we should get these kind of desks or oh, we should all get these kind of chairs oh have you heard that you know an open layout is way better for collaboration than cubicles and it, with each of these things you find out why the other thing existed like if you've worked in an office that has an open layout to me that's hell It's never made collaboration better. Like, I could see if you're all like friends running a a new business together or something where like you're just collaborating all the time. But most places aren't like that. Like, everyone wants to imagine they work at Google when Google was like five years old. That's something I noticed about tech companies and offices and places where I worked. I was like, Everybody's fantasizing, like no matter what kind of industry you're in, everybody wants to think that they're, they're role playing like, like we're Google in the year 2000 when like things were just starting to take off for them. Like we're all going to have an open floor plan and like be in each other's business with ideas. We're going to dream things up. We're going to dream things up. We're going to change things. We're going to change things up. Revolutionize the industry. But then when you have that, like when you have an open floor plan, where everybody's just there together all the fucking time, you realize the value of cubicles. Like you have that for a while, and it's like, oh, the, there's this thing called cubicles that are actually really nice, and you work in cubicles for a while, and it's like somebody starts recommending something else. There's typically like female coworkers who recommended it. <laughs> I feel like it was typically like women who were like, I just read this article about blah, blah, blah. Because I do think the internet played a role. Because, you know, it's not just, uh, even before like the the mass politicization and everything, the the role the internet's played in that. It was was also like, it was really popular to read blog articles and just, I don't even know what you call them. Like, Like websites like BuzzFeed, that's the only one I can think of. There's other ones like that. But those sites, like they, they would publish these articles that are like, why you should have an open floor plan and uh, standing desks. And like someone reads that and they buy into it. Like someone's just trying to make a living writing about bullshit. That's you. <laughs> that's you have to remember, like, anytime you read stuff like that, it's like, this is just a person who's like trying to keep their job and they, they don't have anything meaningful to talk about. Like if you write for one of those rags if you, write, if you write for a rag like BuzzFeed and things in that genre like sometimes you have to just come up with utter bullshit and just be like why you should try this like diets are that way so many things are that way like someone who's just paid to write about nonsense like had to come up with something that week so they decided to write about like why you should only like sit at a desk at work that's made out of this one type of metal When you work at a at a wooden desk, the wood actually, like, saps your energy. You know, that doesn't even sound like that much of a joke. I feel like I've heard things like that. Like, oh, these types of chairs, like, if you sit in this type of chair, it breaks your neck every day. So you need to get this other kind of chair. Like, if you just go and you sit with proper posture, on your breaks you walk, take a little stroll... You don't like hunch over or anything, you're gonna be all right. Like, you're gonna be totally fine. You're gonna be productive. Like, it's all there's always these little magic tricks. Like, because that's the other thing they say is like, this is more productive. We found that offices with an open floor plan and standing desks are like 0.5% more productive. And it's not a coincidence that, like, when you do hear about, like, bare-bones companies just, you know, pulling themselves up, like these ingenious little startups, what we call ingenious, oh, man, the the things these guys think of, man, oh, man, the thing these, dude, think about what it would be like to be in the same room as Bill Gates and Steve Jobs and Elon Musk. Oh, man, dude, if I could just sit there, if I could just sit in an office with an open floor plan... And listen to elon musk elon if i could just listen to elon bill gates and steve jobs dude that's what heaven's gonna be like dude dude when you go to heaven you're gonna go up there and you're you're gonna go you're gonna walk through the gates and then like there's gonna be an office with standing desks and you're gonna see steve jobs bill gates you're gonna see elon musk you know <laughs> But like when you hear about like people who who just really like like get at it, it's like oh yeah that he his office was like this closet piled with papers. It was the garage. I mean that's like the famous Amazon. Amazon. He started it in his garage. Like they always have those humble beginnings. The reality though is they're just like those people are utter workaholics who are really trying to make things work. So they're just going to eat, like, dry top ramen and, like, sit on a pile of papers in their garage and, like, pace around and and sleep weird hours. I've never seen any of these people do that. Like, I've never seen anybody at a tech company or anything who lives that way, who lives like that person who's just got a fucking vision for something. Instead, it's, like, all these meetings where, like, there's nothing to say. Nobody has anything to offer, so people just kind of sit there and they're like... It, it's, it's almost like particip- participation points in school. Like where I went to college, we would break off into these smaller groups. Like the lecture group would break off into smaller groups with a different professor because there would be multiple professors. And you'd have like these these smaller groups just have a discussion about the book or the topic. And you obviously had to say things just for participation points. And there'd always be that person who's shy and they say something, and you're you're aware of the fact that like, they're just saying something so the professor notices and realizes they participated. That's what so many office meetings and things are like. And yeah, this is just, this is like joking about airplanes or something. This is like joking about airplane food, but it's true. Where these meetings, like, there's no real, real reason for them. People have to, like, make excuses why they're there. They want to seem like they're doing something, so they just throw out bullshit ideas. And then that, that happens through email as well. You know, people, if it's an email sort of environment, we'll call it email environment. Oh, is this an email environment? Is this an email environment? Oh, I didn't, I didn't know I was walking into an email environment. So much for sleeping, getting myself all riled up. I didn't know this was an email environment. But if it's an email environment, like, too, it's like the participation point at you know, side of that, but yeah, it still just is funny to me. It's like you read an article that was just total bullshit, like, that person needed to get paid that week, they needed to do their job, and they didn't have anything to say, so they, they wrote about some total nonsense. And like, it's interesting, like, in that sort of environment in an office, too, how you, you learn a lot about like what people are doing. And I've liked the people you know I've worked with in offices. Like I've always gotten along with people. I'm not saying this to be like I hate everybody. I hate them. You know, I'm not trying to rage on people or anything. But you just you just notice people's little things where, like they just let everybody know. Like oh, I'm doing this new diet this week. I'm, I'm doing this new diet where I eat like two peanuts at ten. Then I I eat a Greek yogurt. I eat a Greek yogi. I have some Greek Greek, Greek yogi at noon. Then you eat like a, uh, a Mediterranean lunch for dinner. Like it's always some old, something ultra specific they just learned about, and they encourage other people to do it. They're like, you should do it with me. And then you notice, like, a month later, they're doing something else. I'm doing this thing. Two peanuts every two... I'm I'm doing the peanut diet. Like, this guy said that if you eat two peanuts, like, an hour... (laughs) If you eat a handful of peanuts an hour... But people always want to find, like, a magic trick. You know, that's what so much diet stuff is. Like, obviously, they're a core things you should or shouldn't eat like overeating is obviously you know unless you're like working out a lot or you're know, trying to build muscle or something but even then you're going to eat specific things protein and that and like i you know i i've tried stuff like i i've taken I, i've listened to people talk about fitness especially when i was getting more into it and i was like hmm, that sounds like something i could try like I did try somewhat of a keto thing. I don't think I ever achieved ketosis. Cause I just realized I was like, I'm worrying about carbs that are totally fine for me. Like oatmeal is fine for me. And I know it's like the net carbs, or whatever, but one like when I got into fitness, like what I said to myself is I was like, I'm never gonna I'm never gonna weigh myself. I'm only gonna find out what I weigh if I go to the doctor pretty much. Maybe once in a blue moon, just not even once a year. Probably like once every two years, like yeah, I'll just like look at the scale and be like, hey, I'll step on it. I'll just see what it's like right now. I don't weigh myself unless I go to, unless the doctor does it. And like when I got into fitness too, I was like, I'm going to eat healthier and I know some basic ways to do that. We all know the basics. Like at this point, it's like pretty obvious. Unless you have some crazy allergy or like something off is, something is off with you, like you're going to know what the basic, decent things to eat are. So I kind of took that mentality and like I listened to things, like I took things in. But my whole thing was like, this isn't worth it to me if it's like something I fret about. Like I'm not going to calorie count. I'm not going to like, like I'll look and see how much protein is in something. I'll look and see how much carbs are in something. But in general, like I don't look at that stuff. I don't measure shit when I have a meal. Like the only thing that I would say that I'm pretty disciplined about and have been for about five or so years Is intermittent fasting and i recommend it to anybody and everybody it's so easy once you do it there really is something to it like not even for weight loss like i don't even i don't come from the point of view of weight loss or anything like that i just come from the point of view of like what makes you feel better what makes you function better and like when you when you intermittent fast like you know i was doing 16 hours and then i started doing 14 hours and that includes sleep but like doing 16 hours for a long time it was like eight of those hours are going to be sleep. So you can like book en- bookend that with four hours. So like let four, let four hours pass after your last meal, go to bed, wake up, wait four more hours. And you also know, cause like you start eating more during the window of time that you allow yourself to eat. Like if you barely eat, like it's going to be excruciating. But if you eat properly, it's like your body's going to process all that and I don't know and you'll be able to operate through the morning because my whole thing my whole life was like I thought that I would get a headache if I didn't eat breakfast first thing and I kind of did. But then your body adjusts like when you're eating breakfast first thing, you know, your stomach starts growling when you wake up and you have to go through that if you intermittent fast like you go through that and you're like, okay, my stomach's growling. I just have to keep waiting And then, after you do it for a little while, like, your stomach stops growling in the morning, and you just adjust to the fact that you eat a little bit later. And you just kind of do it by how it feels. But other than that, I just kind of take an approach of, like, we all know it's healthy. Like, sometimes I binge eat. But we all know it's healthy, and these magic tricks are very effective. And people have been pointing this out forever. Like, oh, these stupid shortcuts, just exercise and eat less. Truly, that is a way to lose weight. Like when I dropped a bunch of weight when I was like 20, 20, maybe into into 21, dropped a lot of weight. I just did it. I wasn't even running or anything. I just decided to like walk that much more, to walk for even longer amounts of time and to just eat a little bit less. Like my diet didn't even improve. I was still eating total garbage at that age. But I just started walking more and eating just a little less. Like instead of having three soft tacos have two have one (laughs) you know it was that simple and it just i lost it quickly but then actually getting into eating healthy later you know eating just a moderately healthy diet like knowing why you eat the things you eat and also knowing like what's just pleasure and what's not because that's a difference too like you treat your basic meals not like pleasure And then when you do have just like a treat or a pleasure meal, a pleasure meal, you know that's what it is. You're like, I'm doing this because like, I just want to enjoy it. And you know, different people are different. Like some people want treats all the time. But I mean, I was at a point when I was younger where it was like, it didn't even seem possible. Like when I was growing up, it just, it didn't even seem possible to make a positive change because you just don't know how to do that. You don't realize how easy it is once you do it. Here's some motivational crap. But I guess just thinking about people in offices, like they're always announcing new diets, typically women, men do it too. Like men in offices are fucking crazy. Like men in offices can be, I mean, I've tended to get along with women in offices more than I do men because it it gets weird, especially at co-ed offices. Like if there's like younger women, not young, like not Not fresh out of high school or anything, but it's like if there's women in their like 20s and 30s and there's guys of that age, people always talk about how like co ed workplaces, it's like the issue is men and women, like the interaction between men and women, like harassment, you know, misogyny and these things between them. But like nobody ever talks about how like one of the big problems, like for me at least, is like if you're in a co ed environment, it's like what that does to men interacting with each other like even if there's even if a guy is smart and reasonably self-controlled like this competitive thing kicks in and i i not for me like i i was i just want to work you know that kind of thing but it's like you notice that like guys start trying to like win favor with the women over other guys like this competition kicks in this rivalry and like men are going to be competitive anyway, like in an all male workplace, like there's still going to be competition and rivalry between men, but it's, it's often for like, you know, making more money or, you know, having more authority or status or whatever. But when it's, when there's women there, there's this added dimension of like impressing the women. That to me has been a bigger issue than like men and women, men and women interacting. Like men and men interacting in an environment where there's also women is fucking insane. But as far as the diets and stuff, that's always funny because it's just, there's always somebody like, hey, I'm trying this out. I'm trying this thing like, like people, they're, they're always doing it. Like someone's like, I'm doing the cleanse this week. It's like you put vinegar in a glass and lemon juice and you drink that and then cayenne pepper. You take lemon juice and vinegar and cayenne pepper and you drink that for your meals during daylight hours. I I would do a cleanse. I think I would enjoy a cleanse, but someone's always announcing it. I'm doing the peanut diet. I'm doing a cleanse. Oh, do you know peanut? And then they, they give you advice too. It's like, oh, do you know that, like, The one people love, like, I don't know what it is about this that makes people jump at the opportunity to say this shit. But it's like, if you ever drink, like, diet soda around certain people, they just can't resist, like, telling you, It's got aspartame. You know that shit's bad for you? You might as well just drink the sugar. You might as well just drink the regular one. It's better for you long term. You know that aspartame, like put holes in an elderly man's brain there was this old guy that drank diet coke his whole life and they saw that he had holes in his brain from the aspartame people really like to jump on that like i'm sure aspartame's horrible i don't drink a lot of diet soda but it just seems like like i've had people say that to me at bars and stuff like i, I ordered a like a whiskey coke or something at a bar whiskey diet coke or something at a bar many years ago and i remember this guy was standing there and he's like you know that's bad for you. And I was like, I'm drinking alcohol. And he's like, why do you even care about like the extra calories? And I'm like, I'm ordering what I fucking want. Like, I'm ordering what I want. It, it's happened multiple times. And both times that's happened, it's been men. Like, this guy was a gay man. He was like this middle-aged, refined gay man you was just like why are you drinking aspartame that's gonna kill you it's like fuck I'm, I'm, I'm drinking alcohol what does it matter what i mix it with at that point i'm drinking something that's probably far more destructive but yeah the other time it happened it was like a younger guy i was like sitting with this group of people i was sitting there was a girl who I, like i was talking to an okay cupid and like she was like oh i'm down at this bar and i was like i'm across the street i'll go over and meet you and I met up with her, and like there was some guy like at her table, and I was drinking whatever, like a like a diet coke, whiskey or whatever. And he was just like, "Oh, you drinking aspartame?" And I was just like, "I'm drinking alcohol. Like, like I, I was I was really drunk, and I was just like, you know what this is, right? I was like, I'm I'm drinking self destruction. What does it matter if I'm drinking it with aspartame?" I'm sure it's horrible for you, but I don't even know. I mean, like, it's almost taken on a life of its own. Where like, people talk about that, like, if you just drink a Diet Coke once a month or something, that you're going to die, That's going to coat your brain. I mean, you heard all kinds of shit about soda. Like, people used to say that about aluminum cans. Like, oh, if you drink aluminum, you know, soda, if you drink soda out of aluminum cans, if you drink soda out of aluminum cans, like... They doctors have found that like aluminum coats your brain and after twenty years. Like it's always something like that. Oh, they they found that geriatric patients had like uh, they, there was there was a higher rate of dementia among people who drank diet coke. Everyone's got so much wisdom. So many little facts. So many, like like those are like like to me. Even if that's true, even if aspartame is horrible for you, like that might as well well be an old wives' tale. People in offices do that, too. Like, they, they feel like it's their right to be like, oh, you know, you're you drinking aspartame. Not good for you. Thank you. Oh, you're the first person to ever tell me that. What, what is this aspartame stuff, man? Tell me what it is. Probably wouldn't even know. And that's me. That's just someone who doesn't even drink that much Diet Coke or Diet Pepsi. I'm a, I'm a Pepsi guy, but someone who doesn't even drink that much. Like, even I've gotten that. Like, even that's come up a million times. It's just like, it's like a tick. It's like involuntary. And, uh, I don't know. Like people just, they feel the need of like a lot of health and body stuff. That's what's the weird thing about offices. There's a lot of health and body stuff. And like, they try to teach you that shit sometimes too. It's like, this is how you breathe. Like I, I worked at a place where they had like, they had this lady come, who was like talking about like crisis management and and things like that. But then she's like, I'm going to teach you this breathing exercise. (laughs) And it was just literally taking deep breaths. It's like, Oh, deep breaths. Like obviously breathing, knowing how to breathe and things like that are good for you. Meditation involves breath. You know, there's a reason why we, we go with that. (laughs) But it was just funny sitting there like, she's actually just, she's like, there's this technique because she's being paid to teach us helpful tips or something, she uh, like has to pretend like this is like this is an ancient technique that only we know. And it's just it's just literally like take a deep breath, hold it, let it out. Things too, like like things people say in office. This is just like an office uh, joke thing, and just like a. Just a stand-up comic talking about office life. Sometimes in offices, you ever notice how there's that lady and she she always comes over and like asks you what you're doing? And you're like, what do you think I'm doing, lady? I'm working. This isn't it is insane though. It is like this pool of everyone's neuroses. Offices are fucking neurotic. Way more than any other place. Like any sort of manual labor. Like when I worked for UPS, not neurotic at all. Amazingly. Like you would think like a package delivery service, like those truck drivers and stuff, like those guys are cool. Like they they're not neurotic at all. And like you know warehouses and things too. It's like you're just you get crazy people and stuff, but like there's something about an office that just brings out the neurosis. Like, and, and the announcing, like, the advice people give you, and then, like, the announcing these life decisions thing. Like, someone like, oh, I'm taking a break from coffee. I'm doing this experiment that's called not drinking coffee for a month. Oh, it's called, I read about, I read this article that said, like, if you don't drink coffee for 37 days, it does this, you know. You start to realize you don't want it anymore. I get I under. I understand why you try to take a break from coffee. But it's always like a thing. It's it's always some sort of something they read. It's a magic trick. You're always looking for the magic trick. Here's the trick. But I think when you're in that environment, like when I think you're in an office environment where like everyone's exposed to everybody else's neuroses, like you become more neurotic and you also start looking for like little tricks because your life is so mundane you know, your life is so mundane and like you realize like how much of what you're dealing with on a day-to-day basis is just total, complete bullshit. Not even in a horrible, bad way. Just like, you know that it's just nothing. You just know that like everything you do all day is just like, you don't even, it doesn't even seem to have any purpose whatsoever. And so you start inventing little things. I'm doing this. Have you heard of this? Oh, no, th- th- this article says you shouldn't eat this. I give you to stick to the basics. And yeah, you, you have to be a little skeptical of science and things because they'll tell you that eggs are the worst thing you could ever consume. And then the next week they're like, why you should eat eggs? You know, I grew up with the classic food pyramid My family even had a magnet. Like, they would give you those magnets at school. It would be a little triangle. The food pyramid. And it was just, like, half of it was bread. Like, the bottom was, like, most of what you should eat are just carbs. Most of what you should eat is just bread. And a tiny, tiny amount of meat. So, I mean, I, I don't trust just the... I don't trust what people are saying. I mean we can see now like why not to trust what we're being told about fitness. Cause that was an interesting thing too, is like, I worked with, I was friends with her. I mean, I still consider her a friend. I just, we don't see each other talk anymore, but a very heavy girl and, you know, very pretty, very charismatic. Like she never had a problem like attracting men and that kind of thing, but she was very heavy and very into like fat advocacy and, like, that was, that was when I was first introduced to the idea that, like, people were saying, like, not just that it's okay to be fat, but that, like, being fat is fit. Being introduced to that idea I was like, oh, whoa, they're going there with it. And there was even somebody who taught, like, fat fitness classes. And it's like, yeah, you can build up a core. Like, you can build up strength while being fat. You can be a healthier version of a fat person, but it was weird because it was the first time I'd ever been introduced to this new way of thinking that like, not just, not, not just should we not make fun of fat people or demonize them or tell them what to do with their bodies. But like, no, actually like being fat is good for you. That was my introduction to people thinking that way. So people talk about that. Like there's always something new there's always something new for people to push and talk about and it's it's like it's kind of like a form of psychosis like when you're in that kind of environment you know it's they say that about like sororities and fraternities you hear about like women who live in sororities like physically their periods will sync up with the other sorority sisters I've always heard that. I've never thought to look it up. I feel like I've heard it enough that I think there's some truth to it. But people sync up in all kinds of ways. And, like, I I almost wonder, like, in offices. They've probably never done a study on this. But, like, if a bunch of women work in the same office, they're around each other for, like, eight hours a day. They're probably around each other as much, if not more, than a bunch of sorority sisters. Like, girls in a sorority house, like, they might, you know, sleep in the same building But they're not all spending time with each other all day, every day, eight hours a day. Like, they're coming and going. They're going to class. They're going out with their boyfriends. They're going to things. So I wonder if women's periods sync up in offices. Because other things do, you know? Because, like, whenever you have a group of people like that, it's like this sort of consensus forms and this sort of we... I think that plays into what I'm talking about. Like, people always wanting to, like, give you health tips, to tell you things, to give you advice, to, like, talk about the thing, the new thing they're doing. Here's the new thing I'm doing. And they they always, like... it's It's a good example of, like, putting the cart before the horse, too. Because, like, whenever you make a big deal about one of those decisions... Like, sometimes it does work to make a big deal. Like, you kind of reinforce the decision. Like, if you announce that you're going to lose weight... I think sometimes like that can motivate you because you're like, shit, like I told people I was going to lose weight. Now I have to. But I find that it's way more effective to just do it. Because like they have found that like when you announce that you're going to make a positive decision before you do it, the encouragement you get, it's almost like a congratulation unearned. Like you're being congratulated for something you haven't done yet. Like if you say, hey, I'm going to lose 100 pounds this year. And you're like, oh, that's so fucking awesome. Dude, you got this, dude. Get it, dude? Dude, you got this. Oh, dude, you're my fucking hero, dude. Like, if people say shit to you like that, oh, you go, man. You go. Like, If if people start congratulating you for something you haven't even done yet, your brain receives that as if you've done it. Like, you're getting the positive feedback that you want. Because the whole reason you're announcing it anyway is because, like, even if you want to lose 100 pounds... Part of your motivation is so that people are more attracted to you. So you get attention, positive feedback. So when you announce that and you get that positive feedback for nothing, that kind of cuts into your motivation. You're now like, oh wait, I I feel like I already did it. I know I didn't do it, but I feel like I already did. And so like our, our interconnectivity now, social media or just every way that we're connected through phones and everything, we announce a lot of what we're going to do. Like it's letting the devil know your plans. Alan Watts had a really good bit on this. It's like when you, he was talking about quitting drinking and he's like, you know, when you announce that you're going to quit drinking, you're letting the devil know your plans. And who do you think the devil is? It's you. So like, you're going to sabotage it. And that was really helpful for me when I quit drinking It's like, I hadn't even heard that. Like I'd never even heard that Alan Watts thing at that time. But when I quit, I was like, I'm not going to tell anybody. I have to be sure that this is what I'm doing before I'm going to say anything to anybody. And if I go out with people for the next couple weeks, I'm just going to say like, oh, I'm not drinking. Yeah, I'm taking, you know, I, I'm not sure what I'm doing, but I'm not drinking. You know, just kind of keep it at that. Not make an announcement. And then, like a couple weeks later, I was like, okay, this is something I'm doing. And then I told people, because you have to. You know, with some things, you, you have to tell people. Like, if people are used to you being someone they drink with all the time, you got to tell them that you quit drinking. It's a lot easier. Like, if they see you, they're not going to offer you a drink, that kind of thing. Same thing with, like, food or anything. Like, if you got a group of guys that you go get uh, ice cream Sundays with, if you and the boys have a little club that you every Sunday you get an ice cream Sunday, and you're deciding to get healthy, well, you got to let them know at some point. But not for the dopamine hit, not for the encouragement. And then the reward is way better anyway. If you do want positive feedback, if you do something, but like people don't know that you're doing that, and then they just totally on their own notice that and are like, oh, hey, have you lost weight? And it's like, yeah, you you can see that I lost weight. The reason you're asking me that is because you already know the answer. That's a way better feeling. Like if you do want, and we all want positive feedback. Like we all want somebody to notice when we've done something that's difficult or impressive or we've made a change that requires real discipline. So when someone says like, oh, hey, have you gotten in shape? Oh, have you been working out? Like It feels so much better than being like, this year i will be going to the gym three days a week it has been so hard but this year i'm finally ready this year i'm finally ready and then everyone's like oh you got this man see uh see you in a hundred pounds from now then like when you see your friends or like and people you know after you've made that announcement like. They're gonna feel obligated to ask you if you lost weight. Oh, have you lost a little bit of weight? But if they just see that themselves, if they're just, if somebody hasn't seen you for a while and you're in a lot better shape and they they notice it, that's what you want anyway. You wanna have your your work acknowledged. You don't wanna be acknowledged before you've done any work at all. It's just basic. I mean, this is basic psychology, basic motivation but it's easier to get that congratulations. It's easier to get that unearned congratulations now. It's easy to get too much feedback, too much support, because it's hollow support. Like, I'm gonna say something to this broad network of people I know, and they're gonna give me a dopamine hit. I'm gonna get all these replies. That's what a lot of things are. A lot of things are affirmation, validation. Like, I know a guy who, like, he gets drunk and then dresses up like a woman, and he now identifies as trans. I, I like him. I, I He's not a close friend of mine. He's a guy that I used to drink, drink with sometimes, but it's a lot of, like, just seeking validation. Like, the middle of the night, he puts pictures up. He lives here in town, but he puts pictures up of him, like, dressed like a woman. He does it. He, he, he goes back and forth and is like, I I was feeling kind of cute today. Or like, I'm I'm not feeling very pretty today. Like blatant, blatant, uh, attention seeking, you know, just like pretending like you have low self-esteem and maybe he does, but just like throwing that out there because you know what the response is going to be. That's a big one. Like that, like, it's interesting that the internet has been used so much for that, for like just expressing your low self-esteem to get a pep up. I mean, it makes sense. That's what people are seeking. Like you can see that like what the internet opened up, it allowed people to get what they were seeking before or what they thought that they were seeking, which is, you know, a lot of attention and validation whether it's, um, but a lot of it comes from this place of like low self-esteem, which might be real in these people. They might actually have low self-esteem, but if I were <laughs> if I were a mental health professional working with somebody like that who had low self-esteem, I wouldn't say, "Oh, just post a picture and like be bashful so that people say shit to you." Don't try to look for the magic trick. Cuz you're not going to get it. Like you're not going to what that's created is a, is a bunch of hungry ghosts where you're not going to get that thing you're looking for. You're not going to get that that feeling isn't sustainable. That feeling of validation is very fleeting. And it, it comes cheaply and it goes cheaply. But it's very common in the younger generations, you know that you know like sort of like talking like a depressed person all the time. Like just broadcasting your depression. And I think pretending to even be depressed in a way that you're not. But by thinking that way, you become that. Like, I can't even get out of bed today. Um, Why doesn't my bed have wheels? Um, You know, why doesn't Netflix just, like, appear on my ceiling so I don't even have to get out of bed? That's the sort of mentality. <sighs> and I got. A, I got an email from a friend who listens to the show, and he was just at like. I guess he sent it to me a week ago, before probably before I was talking about Lord of the Rings again. Because he was, he was like, "Where's your old ep- that episode you did a while back about Lord of the Rings?" Because I was talking to somebody about just the new show and. I was like, well, I already did a new one. <laughs> you know, I'm already talking about it again. I think that is a, a very defining moment. I'm not gonna get into all of the, the diversity casting stuff, I promise. I know I often make promises that I don't keep on the on this show, but I uh I'm not gonna get into all that. I've made my point with that and other people are making that point. But just looking at it like, you know, taking a step back and looking at it, I'm still seeing like it, some commentary and reactions to it that are it's different this time. I think the way people feel about what's been done to this Lord of the Rings is a little different this time. It's not just the usual, even though it's following the same formula as all these other movies and shows, I think this time it feels different. I think people realize they're actually being robbed of something this time, not robbed because it's like, I didn't need a new Lord of the Rings TV show in my life. Like, my life's going to be just fine, whether whether this show existed or not, whether they did the things they did or not. I didn't need that. I have the books if I want them. There's great movies. Even that old animated one from the 80s is cool. I saw that way back in the day. I loved it. I saw that back in the day. I loved it. Really tall Smeagol. got so a really tall, creepy Smeagol in the old animated one. <sighs> But, uh, you know, I, I didn't need it, so therefore it's like I, I'm not going to mourn it. I'm not going to mourn the new Lord of the Rings. But it does, it, you know, even that said, even though I don't feel, like, upset about it, I'm not angry about it, this time it really does feel like something is being robbed. Like, you're taking something that means something to a certain type of people, and specifically, you know, that, that does mean something to people of northern European heritage. Like Lord of the Rings fits in. Like if you're of Northern European heritage, you don't have to be to even see this or feel this way about it. But it kind of became a form of like of modern, you know, European mythology, which is what he was going for. And so it does feel like some, it does feel like it's a different form of sabotage this time. It's a little more audacious. And I think people are feeling that. I think a lot of really normal people, like I'm a freak, but I think a lot of normal people are feeling that. They're like, really? Like they're even going to do this. They're even going to go to Middle Earth. So I'll be curious to see, you know, because I can't think of any other series. I can't think of any other... Creative property, any intellectual property that would make people feel this way. Like, nobody cares if Star Wars is a little more diverse. Like, people do. People are aware of the fact that the newest Star Wars movies are a little more diverse than they used to be. But that wasn't a big part of the Star Wars identity. Like, it doesn't, that part of it doesn't, like, if those movies were good, they'd be good regardless. Like, what makes the newer Star Wars movies not good is not the casting. Like, Star Wars could, could be that. Like, Star Wars could have human beings of all races, and it did to some extent. It was primarily white. But still, like, when you saw black characters, when you saw characters of other races in Star Wars, it didn't seem disruptive at all. And the fact that they would add more, even though you, you might know that that was a conscious decision... It doesn't really change what Star Wars is. And like what makes the new ones bad is not the casting. But with uh, with something like Lord of the Rings, it's an entirely different beast. Like what made it what it is is just, is just completely different. And, you know, we've been in a time for a while where like s- saying something like Lord of the Rings is Northern European. It has a Northern European spirit. That's what inspired it. I mean, think about like how much Lord of the Rings has meant to neo-pagans the world over. The neo-pagans loved it for a reason. Because it is, it's a very European pagan... You know, it's folklore. Like, what Tolkien created is a form of new fictional folklore. And even though it appeals to mass audiences, it particularly appeals to a certain pagan spirit. It appeals to something in you if you have certain heritage specifically. And it's a healthy expression of that. But, you know, what I was about to say, too, is like we've been in, in a time for a while where like any sort of channeling any sort of northern European heritage and focusing on that, like making that the identity of something has, has been demonized. You know, because it's not like Lord of the Rings is, you know, ethnocentric propaganda. It just is what it is. It's the world that it is, inspired by what it is. It's not that there's a message in there that makes people, there's no xenophobic message. It just simply is what it is. But you can't take the European identity out of it. And that's in a lot of stories. You know, to me, it's almost akin to, like, if you remade The Godfather. And wait, this, this would probably be the next one. They're going to run out of ideas, so this will be the next one. But to me, it's like if you took The Godfather and you changed the race of Michael Corleone. Like, if you made characters in The Godfather non-Italian... To me, that's kind of what it's like in Lord of the Rings. Yeah, Lord of the Rings is fictional, whereas The Godfather is based on real people, like not a true story, but just it's based on Italian mafia. And it takes place in our world, takes place in New York and everything, but it's still fictional. Fictional. Still a fake world. And we're seeing with some of the creative decisions, you know, it wouldn't be surprising at this point. Like, I don't think anybody would be that shocked if they remade The Godfather, but they made everybody a different race. And people would be upset about that. I can tell you Italians who are very conservative people, even a Sicilian friend of mine, who's my age, you know, he's very liberal, voted for Joe even he's way more conservative in nature than a lot of other Democrats and liberals that I know. But with Italians in general, Italian-Americans, like people who live in Italian-American communities, they're all, they fucking love Trump's Feld. Like they will be open. <laughs> they will just be openly prejudiced. Like they don't give a fuck. So if you change characters in The Godfather, like, they'd be fucking irate. And even though that's not a fantasy world, like, it kind of is. It kind of has the same meaning to people. Because even though, yeah, the mafia doesn't represent all Italian people, but a lot of fucking Italian people, a lot of Italian Americans who have never had a single relative involved with the mob or crime or anything, like, they watch The Godfather and they feel something. They watch The Godfather and they start talking about honor. That's kind of what Lord of the Rings is like. Like for a certain type of person, you watch that and like it, it speaks to you on some level. Like it's not fundamentally different from Norse mythology or anything. Like Norse mythology isn't real either, but you're not gonna change those guys. They probably already have. I mean, I know they've made black Vikings and stuff. But uh you know, you can't change Norse mythology. You can't make the the gods and the characters non-nordic otherwise it's not what it is it's not the same thing and that's kind of maybe what it what it all is like i think what the response is that's not authentic and not in the sense that it's not true to the books or not true to this it's that like it's bootleg you see that shit like you when they do that to a series or or any kind of intellectual property you say that's a bootleg You can can call it whatever you want. It's fake. It's like when somebody reforms a band, but there's like one original member and they're the bass player. And like the singer and the guitarist and the drummer are like kids. Like some 50-year-old guy like restarts his metal band from the 80s and just everybody else is like a new member who's a kid who wasn't even born when the band was around. It's almost like that kind of feeling. you are like, ah, this isn't the same thing. You can call it what you want. You can call your band what you want. <laughs> You're not the same band. You can call it Lord of the Rings. It's probably not the same thing. I haven't watched it yet, and there's no yet. I'm not going to watch it. I'll talk about it. My commentary. This is me watching it. I'm, I'm seeing it through the world's eyes. But uh, you know, that's that's part of it though. Is just the, it's like. It's European identity is a big part of it. Even though it's not Europe. It it has a European identity. And people, you know, European Americans, people with Northern European heritage, like, we want our stories too. And there's nothing to whine or complain about. But if you want to know why people are upset beyond like baseless accusations like oh you just don't like black people you know beyond all that it's there's something that unsettles you about it when you see that even lord of the rings is susceptible to this and i think that this is you know it's it's not like this is gonna you know cause like so many fucking things have happened but i do think that this is probably a last straw for some people I think that there is something different. Like the response to it seems a little different than when this happens with other stuff. Like people will find a reason to complain about anything that's been changed, but changing Lord of the Rings, forcing Lord of the Rings to fit into what's been going on, thinking that it wasn't good enough the way it was. I think that's part of it. I think that's a big part of it. A part of it that's been overlooked in all this is that by changing Lord of the Rings, by making the, these significant changes to what it is it's communicating that like it wasn't quite right before lord of the rings wasn't perfect before we we think we have some better ideas it's arrogant it's audacious it's it's extreme arrogance that might be the worst thing of all is that There's this idea that we can do what we want with this. And we have our own great ideas. We have such great ideas. We have such great ideas. And we're going to implement them. Whereas the reality of those creative meetings, the reality of these storytelling meetings, I bet they have about the substance of just any office meeting. A bunch of people staring at their laptops, getting participation points. What if we did this? What if we make this other species of hobbits that look like me, me? So that's a big part of it, and I'll be curious to see. You know, because it's like, you know, outside of things like The Godfather or something, like change, like remaking The Godfather and changing things about it. I don't know what else is left. Like Lord of the Rings is a pretty big statement. And this thing needs more, you know, it, it, more things need to be sacrificed to this thing. It's hunger has no end. There's no brakes on this runaway train that just spirals. Like the track is just a spiral. It gets tighter and tighter. But again, you know, as I always say, it's like, do it with everything. You've gone far. You've gone this far. Like I'm almost the devil in this now. Where I'm like, you've gone this far, why don't you go a little farther? Remake The Godfather. Remake The Godfather and make every one of the, the mafia members a different race. Make Don Corleone a woman. Just go, go ahead and do it. I have The go- I have the Godfather, you know. If you remade The Godfather and tried to be true to it, I wouldn't watch it anyway. So to do it, you know. Remake everything. Redo everything. Amend everything. Take your very noble new ideas that are an improvement to every story that people have already loved for generations and just implement it. Fuck with everything. Butcher everything. Turn everything into the same Frankenstein bullshit. Just do it. I should get into that business. I should go into Hollywood. Attend these meetings and like push them farther. We could go further than this. We can take it further. We can redo this. Someone's doing that. Someone's whispering in people's ear. That's pretty obvious. Someone got in someone's ear. Anyway, I'm going to close out here a bit. We're basically living in a giant office anyway. A lot of people are basically living in an office. Like when they're at home, they're connected to their device. Like that office mentality that I was talking about at the beginning, where it's like everyone is, they're taking in so much information and like, oh, this suggestion. Oh, we could try this. Oh, I'm doing this. Oh, I'm taking a break from coffee. I'm taking a break from coffee. I'm on the peanut diet. I'm doing a cleanse. You know aspartame is bad for you? It's kind of what we're living in now. That's kind of the mentality a lot of people have. That's what social media is. Social media is just people doing that all the time. It's that person who's, you know, has no need to tell you what they're telling you, but they're telling it to you anyway. The difference is with social media, you consent. You know, you look at it, and you probably do it too. I've certainly done that using those sites. Certainly said things that people didn't need to know. But it's almost as if, like, we might as well just... Our houses might as well... This is going to sound really fucking lame, but... You know, we might as well just in our houses, or in our apartments and everything, like, be in these little cubicles sitting at our computers. That's kind of what we're doing. We're just kind of sitting there on our computers, sitting there on our phones... And this isn't an anti-technology talk. It's, you know, what what that's doing mentally. It's what we're doing. It's not the technology's fault. But we become like basically like these little office workers everywhere we go. It's just the global office. Oh, we li- we're just working in, we're living and working in the global office. We're living and we're working in the global office. We're living and we're working in the global office. That's about it. (laughs) We're living and we're working in the global office.